Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In 1 John chapter 5, the Apostle John boldly declared, quote, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Do you have this testimony living vibrantly in your heart? Do you have a lifestyle of testifying to who Jesus is, to what he's done, and to the need for all humanity to receive him as Savior? The Bible is clear that without Jesus, no one will see heaven, and only an eternity in hell awaits. Let's open our Bible now to 1 John chapter 5 that we might better learn what it means to have eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We got back uh, yesterday afternoon from the Kingdom Discipleship yearly men's retreat with all the leaders. We did miss my southern, my uh, son-in-law Nathan, but uh, man, we had just a solid time. We 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 studied the the entire book of Colossians. We had five sessions. And we went deep into the book of Colossians, and uh, man, the guys were the guys were locked in. It was just a time of time of fellowship, a time of community. A time of just, uh, you know, of having fun together and, uh, you know, having times of just relationship. But man, we just really dug into the word of God. And uh, and so thank you, Lord Jesus. Such a blessing that we get to do that. We were out in Oklahoma out there in the, in the you know, in the woods. And um, it was just a time of blessing and, and favor. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, so. All right, we're in 1 John chapter 5, Lord willing. The plan is that uh, this would be two teachings, and uh, the goal today is to do verses 1 to 12. Some of, if not, perhaps the hardest the hardest scripture in the Bible to understand is in this teaching here in verses uh, 6, 7, 8, and 9. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives, Father. We thank you, Father, that we have our Bible, Lord. We thank you for this book of 1 John. But as always, Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, righteous life on our behalf that we could never live. We thank you for dying a torturous death on our behalf and in our place that we should have died. And we thank you that you're alive and risen today, and we worship you, our risen Savior. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts that understand. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, First John 5, I'm going to read 1 to 12. Verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. 
For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Wow. Just, uh, yeah. Wow, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I mean, you could again, you could see John is hammering home. Remember, he's 85, 90 years old now. He walked with Jesus when he was 15, 16, 17. And, uh, you know, it's all about Jesus. Again, he who has the Son has life, eternal life, everlasting life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's not ambiguous, okay? Um, all roads do not lead to heaven. There's only one road to heaven that you can get on that'll get you there. Now, there, biblically speaking, there's two roads, but one is closed to us. If you could live in perfect obedience to everything the Bible said in thought, word, and deed, you could get on that road. That road is closed, okay? Because every one of us is sinful. Now, Jesus did walk that road, that road of perfect obedience in thought, word, and deed. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that, that perfect righteous life of obedience is actually credited to us as if we walked that road. It's incredible, right? God the Father actually views us as if we walked that road. We didn't, but by our faith in Jesus, it's credited to us as if we did. And of course, all of our sin, past, present, and future sin in our life is credited to Jesus at the cross. It's, it's incredible, right? So thank you, Lord Jesus. It's only in Jesus Christ that we have this life, this eternal life, this everlasting life, right? All right, verse one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So here it is again, born of God. You remember in John chapter 3, the Gospel of John, when Jesus was with uh, Nicodemus and said, uh, Nicod you know, uh, Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you're not going to be able to see or understand uh, the kingdom of God and really what's happening. And that's that's the case today. Until we receive spiritual life in Jesus, this has always been the case since Jesus came, we cannot see or understand in any way who God is. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Born of God, again, means to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. It means to receive eternal life, spiritual life, 
in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That happens by believing and trusting and relying on Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul, deliverance from the wrath of God the Father and eternal hell, and to bring you to heaven when you die. Are you clinging to Jesus Christ alone today for these things, for the forgiveness of your sin and the salvation of your soul, right? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, again, we can't make up our own Jesus, as we said over and over. To believe that Jesus is the Christ is to believe everything that the scripture says about Jesus, right? Um, it's like my neighbor said, it's to be persuaded that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, but, you know, at the same time, it's to be persuaded as to what the Bible says as to why you need Jesus, right? You have to be persuaded that as the Bible says that you're a sinful man or woman and, and that only in Christ you can be saved, right? So again, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Born of God means you've gone from spiritual death because of sin to spiritual life. You have new life. You have spiritual life. You have eternal life. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. So again, you can't claim to have love for God or just say, I love God, or that you claim to love God the father and you have no interest in Jesus, okay? Because everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. And any parent can recognize this, okay? Any parent will tell you that, you know, they get more joy when we see someone show genuine sacrificial concern and love for their child than you do for them, right? It's And it's the same here. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. If you don't have a love for Jesus Christ, if you don't have a, a desire for Jesus and to know him and to walk with him and to love him, then you don't have a desire to love God the father. Verse two, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is interesting. How do you know that we love one another. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. How do we show love to our triune God? How do we show love to our Father, to Jesus Christ our Lord and the Holy Spirit? By obeying him, by carrying out his commands, by doing what the scripture says, okay? By looking to please Jesus, please our Heavenly Father, please the Holy Spirit, in every aspect of our life in a growing and increasing way. This is how we know that we love the children of God, okay? So we can know that we can have love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we will love our brothers and sisters in Christ more and more when we, when we love our Heavenly Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit more, and we love them more by obeying them, okay? So it's good to have a feeling of love, and it's good to speak our love for our Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but it's essential that we grow and obey them. And that's how we show our love. That's the, again, that's the evidence that we have genuinely been saved. You don't get saved by loving God or loving others, but the result of your salvation, if you claim that you've received this spiritual life in Jesus, then the result ought to be a growing obedience to God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, and a growing love for one another. Verse three, this is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. In the Old Testament um, and in Jesus's day, the Pharisees, the religious leaders made 613 commands from the scripture that they claimed you had to obey 
to be right with God. They were man-made rules in the vast majority of what they made up. This is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. So John is saying, you know, we're not burdening you with anything. When, you, when, when you've truly received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're growing to walk with him more and more and more and more, it's not a burden, right? We want to know him. We want to love him. Yes, there is a sacrifice that we have to make, but deep down we want to make that sacrifice. This is love for God. So again, it can't be any more plain than this. If you want to know how to love your father, and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, right? Remember, we have a triune God, one being, three separate distinct individual persons. This is love for God to obey his commands, okay? Um, we love him by, by, by wanting to please him and obey him, right? It's the same thing with our children. Our children show our their love to us by, you know, obeying us. And this is our minor children now, right? Uh, when the scripture says for children to obey your parents, it's not talking about adult children. Adult children have their own relationship with Jesus, with our heavenly father, with the Holy Spirit, and need to obey, you know, may, obey God themselves. Now, again, it's still, the children still need to honor their parents and, and hear their parents, but certainly you move out of childhood into adulthood where you're, where you're uh, obeying the word of God and the son of God yourself, right? This is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. Again, it's not hard. Verse four, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So again, the world here means the world system, the world's way of doing things that that's literally contrary to the scriptures. And his commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. If you truly have Jesus Christ living in you, and if you do have Jesus Christ living in you, you've been born of God, you've received spiritual life, you've passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. Um, you have eternal life living in you. Remember, eternal life is not just a quantity of life, but a quality of life. Then it says you've overcome the world in the world system. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Okay, so how do you overcome the world? It, it begins and ends with faith by your trust and reliance on who Jesus is. Look at verse five. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So everything begins and ends with your faith, right? Romans 1, 16 and 17, uh, you know, uh, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for in the gospel of righteousness from God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. We're made right with our heavenly father, with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. We're forgiven of our sins by faith by our trust, our confidence, our reliance, our hope and belief in what Jesus did at the cross on our behalf and in our place, dying a torturous death for us and our belief and trust that he is indeed risen. He is our risen savior. And by clinging to him in faith for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul, right? We're not made right by God, by our own lives. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. And in this, we have victory. We win, right? This is the victory that has overcome the world, the world's system, the world's way of doing things, the world's thinking that leads only to an eternity in hell. We have victory. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Verse five, who is it that overcomes the world? 
Only he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Wow. Okay. All right. So now verse six and in studying this, um, and I studied this fairly extensively this weekend, um, you know, when we were away on the trip, when I had quiet time by myself and preparing for this teaching, but this very well may be the most difficult scripture in all the Bible to understand, certainly perhaps the most difficult scripture in the New Testament to understand. Scholars have disagreed on the scripture. There are there are four different interpretations. I'm only going to give you the one that's that's the most probable. OK, um, and, and so, again, as, as opposed to filling your mind with all the different possibilities, I'm going to give you what, you know, the church fathers and most you know, most reliable scholars believe that what John is speaking about here. So let's, let's look at verse six. This is the one. So again, we're coming off verse five. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the son of God, only believing that God, the son, Jesus, the son of God, right? He is indeed the son of God. And that as God, your God, he entered this world on your behalf you believe that he lived a perfect, righteous life on your behalf. You believe that he died a torturous death on your behalf. And you believe that he's alive and risen and you're trusting and relying in him alone. That's what means when he says, that's what it means when, it, when, uh, when John says, who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. It's not only uh, an intellectual uh, you know, a belief. It's not only just giving intellectual assent to the existence of Jesus, right? It's it's trusting in him, relying in him, believing that he has done it, right? Your full confidence and hope is in Jesus alone for your salvation. Verse six, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. So again, very well may be the hardest scripture in all the New Testament to understand, to interpret. And this is what we do in Bible study, right? This is what we do in these teachings. We're trying to faithfully break down the scripture so that we can understand what it means, so that we can properly believe it, hold to it, and live our lives obeying it more and more and more and more, right? So what does John mean here? This is the one who came by water and blood Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. So what does it mean that he came? So the word came, it, it clearly means that this is something that's happened. It's in the past tense. And in one of the interpretations, it's, it's you know, uh, people believe that it's an ongoing thing, right? Um, but when it says this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, it's speaking about something that Jesus has come and done, right? So what does it mean to come by water and blood or that Jesus came by water and blood? Well, most scholars agree that what John is, is, is probably saying here, and it's, it's most likely, is that it's speaking to Jesus's baptism. As a man, he was immersed in water by John the Baptist at the beginning of his ministry, Okay. He who came by water, he was immersed in the waters of baptism. Now, he didn't need to be baptized for repentance, but he was immersed in the waters to show that, that he was he was a fully a man, right? He really was a man. John was dealing with, with, uh, with a group of people called Gnostics that said it would have been disgusting for God to take on human flesh. It would never happen. But Jesus, 
God the Son, the Son of God, is full-blown God, and he did take on full humanity. He was fully God and fully man, right? So when it says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, he did not come by water only, but by water and blood. The water represents the, the, the water of baptism, that he went into the baptismal waters. He came as a man. He was the God man, but as a man, he went into the water. And the blood obviously uh, is a reference to his, his death on the cross. The blood he shed on the cross was a real man, that he really did die on the cross as a man, as a substitute for all of humanity. He was the sinless man, the God man, but really was fully man and died on the cross and shed his blood for all of humanity, for all men and women, for all time, right? Wow. Kind of a deep verse, right? This is the one who came, Jesus came, past tense, 2000 years ago, by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. He really was a man. He really was baptized as a man, right? Just showing that he was willing as a man to go into the baptismal waters. There was no necessity of it for him like there, there was for everyone else when John was baptizing them for repentance, right? Um, and by blood. As a real man, he died on that cross. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Now, here it is. God, the Holy Spirit, testifying right at the at the at the baptism of Jesus um, God the Father spoke the Spirit of God came down on Jesus it's powerful right so at this time at the baptism of Jesus heaven opened and the Father testified the Father spoke this is my son with whom I am well pleased remember at the Transfiguration right um, it you know again you know the Father spoke. When Jesus was transfigured before them, right? Luke 9, um, you know, the heaven opened, right? I believe it's Luke 9 and Matthew 9, um, but heaven opened. And again, the father testified, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. At Jesus' baptism, the spirit came down, the Holy Spirit, and remained on him like a dove. And it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. This is the Holy Spirit testifying God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Father testifying is that Jesus is the God man. He is the son of God, fully God, fully man. Verse seven, for there are three that testify, right? The spirit, the water and the blood and the three are in agreement. All agree, right? The spirit, the water and the blood testify, right? This is God's testimony that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the savior of the world. Again, he's fully God, fully man. God did become a man so that he could live and die on the cross in the place of humanity. And this is the testimony of the word of God. It's the testimony of God himself. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And they're all in agreement, in agreement on what? That Jesus is the son of God. He is God the Son became fully God, fully man. Look at verse 9. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony which he has given about his Son. So again, the Father has testified, 
right? This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus has testified, right? The Holy Spirit has testified. So again, we look what John says here. We accept man's testimony. So John believes that when you're around an earnest man or an earnest woman, and just as you know, all the apostles have testified that Jesus is the son of God, this whole book, the whole New Testament, the whole Bible is about who Jesus is and what he's done, right? And men and women have testified, and hopefully you testify as to what Jesus has done, right? Do you have a lifestyle, again, of testifying to what's been done for you, right? Because we ought to be. As men and women, we ought to be testifying. John says, we accept man's testimony, and he means men and women, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son, okay? God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit have all testified as to who Jesus is. We actually have the testimony of God himself. When you read the scriptures, when you read when the Father spoke at Jesus' baptism, when you see when God the Father spoke at the transfiguration, when, when Jesus' you know, deity was revealed, right, to Peter, James, and John, and Moses and Elijah appeared. Wow, okay? So we accept the fact that John wrote this, that, that the apostles wrote this. John, you remember John said in the first chapter that we, we have seen him, we've heard him, we saw him with our eyes, we've touched him with our hands, right? That, that he was real. We saw the God-man personally, and that's, that's John and the other apostles testifying to what happened. But here, God himself has testified to the truth, to who Jesus is. Is that getting deep down? You not only have the testimony of those in the scriptures, but God himself has testified. Each member of the Trinity has testified to the truth of who Jesus is. Wow. Verse 10, anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. Again, it's it's like calling God a liar. When you won't believe in Jesus, again, most people who don't believe in Jesus wouldn't think, oh, I'm not really calling God a liar, but it's right. It's, it's similar to calling God a liar, right? God himself has testified that, that, that God the Son, God the Father has testified that God the Son is the Savior of the world, that, that he is God, right? God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit have all testified that Jesus is God, anyone who believes in the Son of God. If you're truly believing in Jesus today, has this testimony in his heart, right? If you believe in Jesus, you have the testimony that God has testified, that our Heavenly Father has testified, that the apostles have testified, right? That the Word of God is true, that the testimony of the Word of God is true. Anyone who believes in the Son of God, if you're truly trusting in Jesus today, you have this testimony in your heart. And again, you and I ought to be testifying to this truth more and more that Jesus is indeed the son of God, God, the son who came into the world, lived a perfect righteous life for us, died a torturous death for us, for all humanity and is indeed alive and risen. Wow. Anyone who believes in the son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. Verse 11 
And this is the testimony. Okay, so what is the testimony? God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Okay, this, here's the testimony. Okay, we're testifying. God has testified to it. This is the testimony in your life. Okay, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. This is the testimony of God the Father. This is what Jesus testified to when he walked the earth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay? And this is the testimony. This is the testimony that ought to be in your heart. This is the testimony that ought to overflow from your heart and out of your mouth. <clears throat> and this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. Remember, Eternal life is not just a quantity of life, everlasting life, although it is that, but it's a quality of life. It's a spiritual quality of life. And this is the testimony God has given us. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. God the Father has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Verse 12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. <clears throat> I mean, again, uh, John, the Apostle John here is making this as unambiguous as it can be. And this is the testimony. Here it is. This is the testimony that God has given, that each member of the triune God has given. God has given us eternal life. God the Father has offered eternal life, everlasting life, spiritual life to all humanity, and this life is in his son, okay? The eternal life is in Jesus. He who has the son has life. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, if you're trusting in Jesus, if you're relying on Jesus, if you're clinging to Jesus alone, for the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul, deliverance from the wrath of God and eternal hell, and to bring you to heaven when you die, you have life. You have eternal life. Have you placed your full confidence in Jesus? Do you presently trust and rely? Are you trusting and relying on Jesus alone right now to save you? Are you clinging to him? Is all your hope in him? He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. That's the plain teaching of the scripture. So we're not trying to be intolerant when we say you have to have Jesus. We're not trying to just discount all other religions. The Bible does that. Let the scripture sink in. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. So yes, what that's saying is, if you've rejected Jesus as the Savior and you're another religion, whether you're Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or New Age, or if you're in Confucianism or, or whatever it is, it's, it's, it, you do not have life. You don't have eternal life. You don't have spiritual life. You don't have heavenly life. And you will not go to heaven if you leave this life in that state. He who has the Son, he who has Jesus living in them, he who's trusting and relying on Jesus alone has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Wow. Father, we thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your word. 
We thank you for this teaching, Lord. We thank you for the revelation in 1 John. Father, I pray that all those who hear this, that everyone, Lord, around the world would come and give their lives to Jesus Christ, that they would have life in your son, Lord Jesus, that they would have life in you, that they would receive spiritual life, eternal life, the forgiveness of their sins, the salvation of their soul, deliverance from eternal hell, that they would come into relationship with you, Father, in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we proclaim today, we testify that he who has the son, Jesus, has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts now. Seal it to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.